Hello and welcome back to Global LPG Conversations, Argus Media's podcast in which we cover the latest developments in the world of LPG. My name is David Appleton, I'm the Vice President at Argus Media and today I'm joined by Matt Scotland who is editor of our twice monthly LPG report at Argus LPG World. Hi Matt, how are you today? Hi, yeah I'm good thanks, how are you David? Yeah, not bad, not bad. And we've um, brought Matt in today uh, to cover, I think, a really interesting topic, which is bio uh, and renewable LPG and also um, renewable DME, which is something of which we've seen developments in in the past year or so. And Matt's been covering this uh, quite extensively in LPG world. So we thought we'd catch up with him and kind of go over what's been going on. So let's start with the the basics here, Matt. Um, What have with bio LPG specifically, what have been the key developments over the past, say, year or year and a half? Um, well, firstly, I think it would be fair to say that um, progress has stalled somewhat in terms of the development of bio LPG production capacity over the past year. Um, and that's um, largely as a result of COVID-19, macroeconomic conditions and recent geo political events. Um, But that's not to say that there hasn't been any tangible progress, um, which we've obviously featured in LPG World. Um, The first story I'd probably draw attention to was when we published on the 4th of May this year. Um, And that was following an interview we did with SHV Energy's Sustainable Fuels Director, Rebecca Groen. and she looked at some of the firm's successes, but also difficulties in it, but in advancing bio LPG production last year. Um, I think they produced about 64,000 tonnes of bio LPG in 2021, which is up by about 8% on the year, um, which is high, but not as high as in previous years. She attributed the slowing growth to delays to uh, HVO biofuels projects. Again, that was because of COVID-19. But I think this reflects one of the key problems with bio-LPG, and that is that it is largely a byproduct of biodiesel production, and it ultimately relies on an investment in biodiesel or bio-naphtha or maybe even sustainable aviation fuels. This is why SHV Energy launched an open innovation challenge last year to look at more direct production routes Um, and they seem to have found some interesting ones I think they've found ones using seaweed agricultural waste or co2 um, but it's kind of too early to say which of these um, could be successful which of these is is feasible in terms of large-scale output the second story I would um, draw attention to is one on US company UGI signing a 15 year deal with a Californian biofuels startup called Vertimas. And this is to produce bio LPG and sustainable aviation fuel from renewable ethanol in the US and Europe. And what's very interesting about this, uh, this deal is about 50% of the output would be bio LPG. And it's targeting uh, production of around a million tonnes per year of bio LPG over the 15 year period. Um, And the firm, I think, is investing about 500 million in the project. So we ran a a Q&A with UGI's global LPG vice president, Warren Patterson, 
in which we discussed this deal, as well as the uh, as well as UGI's other deal to buy and sell around 25,000 tonnes per year of bio LPG from uh, from a new biofuels plant in California. And um, that's due, I think, to open later this year. Very interesting. And um, a couple of uh, uh, projects which are of note there. Just moving away from specifically bio or HBO related LPG, we obviously have other pathways to make uh, zero carbon uh, product so I think more broadly we call it re- renewable LPG. I understand there have been some developments in Japan on that front so what's happening there? Renewable LPG obviously difference that in that it's made from sustainable feedstocks but not necessarily biomass feedstocks. So in Japan the domestic industry is looking to accelerate the development of renewable LPG or uh, which it calls synthetic LPG uh, which is produced from captured CO2 and green hydrogen, which is in turn produced from renewables. Um, so the group uh, plans to start operating a 3.7 tonne per year pilot plant by 2024, which is obviously minuscule, but it's it's aiming to reach around 30,000 tonnes per year by 2030. So yeah, that's that's again relatively a small amount considering Japan consumes about 8 million tonnes per year of LPG. But the longer term goal for the industry is is to completely replace conventional LPG with renewable alternatives, potentially also some renewable DME by 2050. So, yeah, interesting. Just on the volumes there, I guess the key thing here is that um, you have to start by proof, going from proof of concept to to ramping those volumes up. So I guess in some in some ways that's not really the most important thing, but it's just interesting to yeah. see the, these projects uh, evolve and come to uh, fruition. Um, you mentioned uh, DME, so obviously that's very interesting. But if we go to going to renewable DME specifically, what is DME? If you could just explain to our listeners and how is it different to LPG? Sure. So DME is dimethyl ether. Um, and it essentially has a very similar um, chemical structure to propane, except that it has a single oxygen atom, um, and that oxygen atom obviously gives it some slightly different characteristics. One, a key one, is its um, corrosiveness. But the fact that it has similar chemical properties means it can be stored and distributed in similar ways. And it can be blended into LPG up to a theoretical cap of about 20% without having to um, invest in changes to infrastructure or equipment. But I think the the key thing about renewable DME is that it's um, produced from bioethanol in a direct production route, unlike uh, the current bio LPG processes that we just talked about. Um, and I think that's really what's exciting the industry and what's driving a lot of um, investment and a, a, and a lot of interest in the area. Right. So, yeah, you mentioned the investment. Um, so, so you specifically, yeah. uh, who is that and what have they invested in and where? Um, so, yeah, there have been there have been two pretty big announcements uh, recently um, that we've run in LPG World. Firstly, US distributor Suburban Propane um, recently started its first commercial sales of of its propane and renewable DME blend called Propane Plus RDME, and it started selling that in late April. I think it's um, from a terminal in California, 
with the RDME sourced from a company called Oberon Fuels new um, RDME plant also in California. So we we ran a Q&A, another Q&A with Suburban's chief executive, Mike Stavala, uh, about the sales and the new product. And I think we mentioned that the ratio initially, um, the, the blend ratio of RDME to propane would initially be pretty small, but they are looking to build that up to towards the threshold that I mentioned of about 20% RDME to propane. Um, these, the second one is, uh, is another Q&A that we ran with um, the chief executive of SHV and UGI's newly established RDME joint venture, Dimeter, uh, a man called Soren Jacobson. And Dimeter recently announced that it, it was building its first 50,000 ton per year DME plant in, in the Tees Works Freeport in Teesside, Northeast England. And the joint venture plans to open, that will be the first of six plants to open, um, totaling 300,000 tonnes per year of capacity. Uh, and that's all by 2027. OK, so, that's, uh, that's very interesting. And I guess just to put that in context, uh, 300,000 tonnes is, uh, I'd say, a, a little bit more than, for example, the UK's entire residential sector so um again just when we think about uh, the developments here it's not you know the five or ten million tons that you would need to replace a european lpg um but it is uh, a significant amount when placed in the context of of individual countries and i'm sure there'll be more developments going forward and which i guess brings me to my last question which is um you've mentioned a whole bunch of tangible projects here, which I think you've covered really um, extensively in the report uh, and, and very much in in-depth uh, fashion. And But moving to the more general idea here, do you think that the industry is handling the zero carbon challenge differently than, say, two or three years ago? And what's driving that if it is, uh, if there has been a change in kind of the philosophy behind uh, behind that? Yeah, I would say that there has been a big shift, uh, a big shift in emphasis over the past few years and obviously that's partly driven by the um, growing consensus about climate change science but also about the the the, the incoming um, energy and climate policy particularly in in Europe and the US which is you know threatening the long-term future of industries such as LPGs um, and I think looking back to what we've covered over the past year um, we can look back to the COP26 conference in November, which I think was a potentially a major changing point. We published another Q&A at the time with the WLPGA's Mike Kelly, and he talked about the size, scale, and also the, the chaotic nature of the event. There's definitely been a noticeable change in terms of will in the industry, and uh, more investment is emerging in, in finding and moving to renewable alternatives. But I also think there's an increasingly a realisation that there's no silver bullet for the industry. It's unlikely to be bio LPG. It's probably going to be bio LPG, renewable LPG, re renewable DME, and maybe even other alternatives we haven't even thought about at the moment. And the fact that even with all of these developments that I've mentioned, um, we might only hit about 1 million tonnes per year of combined production 
uh, by 2030. I think that gives some indication of the huge gap that still needs to be breached. Um, it's only about 0.3% of the 390 million tonnes per year of LPG demand that Argus forecasts. We reach by 2030, so there's still a lot of work to be done. Um, but yeah, there's there's definitely been a change in emphasis. Sure, sure. Yeah, interesting. I think I would definitely, from my perspective, agree with you that um, the the change has not just been in the number of projects that we see the industry investing in. There's a realization that LPG distributors cannot rely on external entities to provide them with the supply. So they are taking the steps to create their own supply. Um, so I'm sure we'll see more of that uh, going forward and, and th those numbers will, will go up. But yeah, very interesting, Matt. Thanks for your time today. And um, we'll for sure check in again on new developments uh, sometime later in the year or um, uh, and after that, because this is obviously a topic which is going to uh, continue to be of growing interest to both uh, people in the in industry and then also those who may be able to assist. Can I just draw yeah, attention sure. to a couple of uh, uh, things coming up um, yeah. that will feature in LPG World? There's two conferences happening this month that are going to shine a bigger light on this area. The first is the International DME Association's DME9 conference in Zurich, which is actually um, starting today, uh, which I'm flying out to tomorrow. Um, so that will have some of the core industry, LPG industry players um, investing in our DME projects or already selling small quantities in blends. Um, so we will have some coverage of that in LPG World. Um, and then there is also the, the Liquid Gas Europe Congress in Barcelona at the end of this month, which we will cover extensively in LPG World. So I'd encourage our subscribers to, to read what we put out on those events. Brilliant. Yeah, very good. And also, uh, both you and I will be at that latter event. So hopefully we'll get a chance yep. to catch up with some of our listeners then and uh, and say hello in some cases for the first time, I think in like two, three or, or years or longer. So great. Thanks for your time, Matt. Have a good uh, Thanks, flight Dave. over to DME conference and uh, we'll speak again soon. Thanks a lot. Bye bye.